Full Service Radio programming is available on our website, fullserviceradio.org, and as a podcast, thanks to Simplecast. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Hello, hello. You're listening to a new episode of District Durkas. So, a Durka from Yemen, that's me, Sama, and a Durka from Algeria, that's Lilia. Aloha, everyone. We live together in the District of Columbia, and we decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Our topics include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, (laughs) socialism, Etc. and all the prisms and schisms in between. To those of you who are listening to our show before, yes, we did switch the lines. If you're memorizing them, well done. You are well on your way to be an experienced Durka. And uh, today we're actually going to run the show a little bit differently than usual. Yeah, we're not going to run it. It's going to run us. I think, unfortunately, that's what happens most episodes. (laughs) So we actually picked a very big subject that is kind of an elephant in the room that is going to be really difficult for us to tackle in just one episode and that's the arab spring yes we start we're going to start to casually uh, you know prehand approach the subject today yeah Um, casually very casually very casually just scratching the surface talk about everything that's wrong in the middle east and the west at the same time tip of the iceberg you know you know everything about you know autocrats and nepotism and you know propaganda foreign policy and most importantly twitter so I mean, how can we talk about that without Twitter? So Twitter, um, tune in. <laughs> tune in. So uh, I'd like to start with an article uh, concerning Nike seizing to be the purveyor of shoes for the soccer team in Iran three days before the World Cup. So break that down to us. Nike had agreed to sponsor them. Correct. And then was just like, no, dude, we can't. Really. We can't, you know, uh, because of uh, sanctions. Uh, but they announced that three days before their first encounter with Morocco, their first match against Morocco. They're it's like, their first time playing in the World Cup ever? Iran? Yeah. I wouldn't know. So, okay. We I don't think it is. No, they have, they have provided shoes for them before. Okay. But that has to be verified. All I know is... But the sanctions were placed when? By Trump. I mean, the sanctions were always in effect. And then Obama cut yeah, that Yeah, kind of toned it down. And they're like, and we're going to be yes. fine. But the point is, I don't think the sanction have anything to do with that. I think Nike, that's a unilater- unilateral uh, decision upon their part. And the first thing I did was throw my pair of Nike. Not that I'm a supporter of Nike. I remember when I was 10 years old in Brussels, I met this anarchist communist who told me all about child labor and Nike abusing, you know, children. And so I picked like the other brands. I mean, so I, I, was st- already I still wear Nike. Throwing- yeah, I know everybody and I does. Use, and I use Apple products even though I know of their mining in Africa and how they get some of the digital chips. You know, I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of things that are wrong with capitalist, you know, businesses, but All I, I still use them. All I need to know is if, was it with Kanye that they had their, their beef? I don't remember. I think it's a, is it Adidas? 
No, I think he transferred to Adidas because it didn't pan out with Nike. So I think like Jack is someone reason. who would know this. Yes, that's the right answer. <laughs> All right. He's, he's Adidas. <laughs> but I thought it was a bit like, that's a little cutthroat. Like three days before the World it's, Cup, it's you've very agreed to purveying shoes and then you don't. That looks bad. I diminishes mean, morale, for come sure. Come on, it's the World Cup. It's like we're... It's that moment. It's like Olympic Games. It's it's a truth time. It's I like mean, where everybody the problem goes, waka, is waka. they Come can on. still wear shoes that look like Nikes, and they'd be Nike, like you know, they'd just be like fake Nikes. Apparently, <laughs> like athletes, when they are used to a certain gear, like that's that's what they're training with and everything. This is this is it. This has caused them to not perform in an optimal way. If so you think, okay, so hold on. The shoes that they were training in are the same shoes that they played in. They're the same shoes that they're going to play in that have been Nike all along. Correct. But Nike said that they're not going to give the Nikes to them, but they can go purchase them themselves individually. That's pretty fucked up. I know. But I thought they already had them. You know? No. I mean, I'm sure there's like some World Cup. Uh, I'm just confused. But you understand that Nike has to do that because of the American sanctions like against it's kind of, Iran. Let's say like you're going to this event and people sponsor you. They're supposed to buy your flying ticket. And then they're like, well, you know, you buy your own ticket. Vaya con Dios. I know buy. a bunch of people who are Three flying in to see the World Cup. Because, you know, uh, this is a thing about Durkas. We love soccer. Yeah. And it's football. <laughs> so that was a little hostile. And uh, talking about hostility, so Arab Spring, everybody. We're, we usually run to two news events. And this week, to be honest, I couldn't really focus on anything Middle East because I'm so caught up in the Trump meets Kim phenomena. I mean, one, I think that if Kim Jong-un's father was alive, he'd be rolling like he's probably rolling in his grave somewhere. He's probably not very happy about this. And at the same time, I'm really fascinated that Trump was able to meet with him. And then you have to meet. Um, remember that that artist who has like piercings everywhere who's a basketball player uh, Rodman yes oh, he Some. was on air wearing a MAGA hat crying about the meeting and I don't know how I feel about this I think that takes away you know while I'm looking at the news I want to read about the Middle East but I'm just so shocked that America is becoming the Middle East well Talking about the Middle East and this kind of meeting, I think Kim should watch his back now, you know, like Saddam, like Gaddafi. They all shook hands with like, you know, French leaders. I mean, and then they, it ended up very badly. So be careful who you're smiling with. Just to put up a, a like just kind of a Middle Eastern prism on it is like, isn't this kind of what Obama was trying to do with the less extreme regime that be in Iran and Trump just couldn't really stomach it at all? I mean, wasn't that the point of putting less sanctions on Iran is to kind of build a friendship. The yeah. same thing that Trump is trying to do with North Korea, except North Korea is stuck at... But Kim is more relatable to a character like Trump. It seems they're very... Uh, like, they can self-identify. They can identify to I each mean, other. Like, that whole... I, I don't think he's more relatable. I think that Kim Jong-un is young. I think that he's definitely not Muslim and not, like, such a big threat to, like, evangelical agenda. But, like... I don't know. I, I just, I find it really odd. I'm just, I Is hope... Is it that odd? They're, they've been, like, uh, quarreling for a minute, like lovers who can't succumb to their true feelings. Oh, I hate you, I hate you, and then... I love you, I love you. Know, you. Exactly. I, mean, I, I hope it, I hope it resolves something. I hope it ends up well. I hope that it's productive, but I'm just, I'm just surprised. And, and it has nothing to do with the Middle East, but I'm just, you know, honestly... Tune into this if you're not, whether you're Middle Eastern or not. History is being made. Well, good luck to you, dictator. 
because they're both we know how it goes (laughs) well it happens to everyone so from the talk of dictators uh let's talk about the arab spring before we jump into it actually um jack what what do you think how do you as a non-middle easterner think of the arab spring what was the arab spring at all yeah no i like it i mean powerful Uh, that that was the impression that i had when it happened and still to this day i think it paved the way for a lot of other possibilities so was the idea that these countries had dictators and they're rebelling against them or was it that these countries had theocracies and they wanted democracy or like what was i mean i didn't know enough at the time to really have that informed of a um take on it other than the fact that technology was able to like give people a voice that otherwise may not have been able to kind of like collectively plan in that way that's yeah. actually a perfect transition to this segment I prepared to as a launchpad to this conversation. And I took it from uh, Dear White People, mm-hmm. season two, show on Netflix. Um, and uh, if we could play that yeah. clip. That this is our Orientalism Express segment at the start. Right, here we go. I am done with the Internet. Lies. For real. Hashtag no more hashtags. Name one good thing the internet's ever given us. <laughs> the Arab Spring, boss of headlines, the GIF industrial complex, and access to information? You mean misinformation. So that kind of vibes off your idea of technology allowing people to further their rights or, you know, their aspirations. Technology is a double-edged sword. Yeah, and uh, um, we've talked about this outside of the studio, and I told you I want to talk about the Arab Spring as an American phenomenon, and you asked me, like, what do you mean by American phenomenon? Well, who coined the term Arab Arab Spring? Spring. Um, I'm not really sure, (laughs) but the media, for sure. Yeah, the media. Actually, it started... But exactly, I can't... Exactly, it would be in 2005... During the Lebanese revolution, there were some neocon commentators like American who for the first time used the word Arab Spring. And then this word had to hibernate until 2011. And apparently a writer for um, foreign policy Mm -hmm. coined the term Arab Spring speaking about what was going on in Tunisia. So American phenomenon in the sense that they came up with the appellation and then it became something bigger than Tunisia, bigger than Egypt, bigger than bigger than I could relate to, honestly. So on the mention of, you know, what was the newspaper that you just mentioned? Foreign Policy. Foreign Policy. So Foreign Policy at that time did have the best articles on the Arab Spring. I think what the Arab Spring did to some of these writers is provide them with an opportunity to move on to better jobs. I remember that a lot of the staff that worked then is now working for Politico. And um, a lot of them have left the job there. It was kind of a way to audition, you know, their coverage of the Middle East and their analysis was a way for them to kind of have a stepping stone towards something else, which kind of, for me personally, I feel like uh, foreign, foreign policy's work has kind of declined. Uh, the, the excellence that we were used to see is not there anymore. But, I mean, isn't this the case with everything? The terms are not really given by the local population, you know, but but we use the term anyway. It became Arabi al-Arabi, and then people made jokes about how the Arab Spring became the Arab Winter. Yeah, it was always a winter. That guy set himself on fire, the guy who is the catalyst for the Tunisian Revolution. That was in December. Yes. And in, uh, I mean, I think it was, no, it was in January or December or, anyways, it was in the winter. And 
at that time, before it became the Arab Spring that everybody thought was so positive well, and the Arab it Spring traction, actually the French kind of backed up the regime in Tunisia. They asked them if they needed help to maintain. So there was also a flip um, in, you know, the right side of history. Yeah, no, I mean, the Arab Spring is not in reference to the occurrence or whatever ignited the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring is the process of catching fever and having that movement transfer from one country to the other. And then to our audiences who are not too familiar with the Arab Spring, it took place in 2011. And this happened in several countries, but it was triggered and initiated in Tunisia by a man who committed suicide because he could not find a job or live a decent life after, apparently, I don't know if you know this part of the story, but it was after a woman, a yeah, policewoman, uh, pretty much humiliated him in public. We so call this hogra in North Africa, like injustice, that's that type of like, in, that comes from somebody that can pull rank on you yeah, and that just unfairly humiliates you. That's hogra. And what was phenomenal about this is that Twitter allowed people to act as reporters for the first time. So you had citizen journalism having access on the spot to millions of viewers and the West was ready to eat it up. I think after having so many years of just thinking of the entire region as a hub for terrorism, they were ready to see us as humans. And there was just like a willingness to share and read these stories. But the problem is, I think eventually as, as this phenomena kind of caught on in the Middle East, you know, it started with Tunisia and then it went to like Egypt and Syria and Yemen and Bahrain tried to have it. And, you know, it was... It was then a problem where you started having experts in D.C. on the subject and they were looking at all these countries from the prism of Tunisia. And then Tunisia out of nowhere had sudden influx of foreign analysts interested in studying there and living there. And fast forward, we are in 2018, the only country that has successfully and not even I, I can't even say fully successfully surpassed the events of 2011, it would be Tunisia. Tunisia, Tunisia is the only organic but, revolution. But Everything still, else is questionable. It still is, it still is struggling. Like they're still struggling to find their balance post Arab Spring, but they are, it is the most organic. I would agree yeah. with that. But it was a very incorrect appellation calling it the Arab Spring. I think it was more, they wanted to vibe off the, uh, you know, the Prague Spring, the Seoul Spring, everything is spring. So it makes it easier for whoever to understand that it was like kind of this Oprah Winfrey movement like you get an Arab Spring they get an Arab Spring well, everybody Kiev, gets an Arab Spring Kiev um, you know you had without understanding each country's specific situation well like, then you had situations outside of the Middle East that kind of caught that fire you know once you see someone brave and standing up to a specific regime or leader it kind of catches on yeah especially but it's not the flu a lot of them were or orchestrated like it started with a good sentiment, but demand. look at what happened to Libya and Syria. That was oh clearly... Oh my God, Libya, I left out Libya. It's that, that Exactly, Libya using the term Arab Spring to be like, oh yeah, this is like an awakening. Which, by the way, is kind of patronizing to think that the Arab world waited till 2011 to have some kind of uh, awakening. Yeah. The struggle's been real every day. I, so I, I resent that also that about the, the idea of the an Arab Tunisian, awakening. The Tunisian experience encouraged people to come out to the streets like everybody you know that's the thing about the revolution that people need to realize the people who took to the streets weren't all like on the same page 
about everything. They were just out airing their grievances, demanding some sort of change. And to be honest, a lot of people looked at it like, oh, they want democracies. Democracy is the best system in the world. It's like, no, they want economic equality. They want an opportunity to politically participate in the system. And they're sick of the elite monopoly because very much like what's happening in other countries, the middle class was shrinking and it was either rich people or poor people and they wanted the middle class kind of back. And so that, I think a lot of people here don't understand that. They don't really care for democracy. They would vote in a theocratic regime in some places if it meant that they get economic equality. Um, But, I mean, Tunisia had the legs for it because they have a very structured um, civil society. They have a big intellectual milieu, so they could carry it out. That's why it's the only successful one, even though they're going to learn the hard way that when you try um, for democracy, the first thing that happens is the Islamist and slip it happened. in. It happened, and it happened to them, so I hope they can weather that. And, and I think they can. They've been doing a really good job. That's why I said they're still kind of struggling, but they're doing, I think they're doing very fine. And I think that the Islamists in Tunisia are also very reasonable compared to other movements that were happening in the Middle East. But What's interesting to me is, you know, countries like Libya, like Egypt, like Yemen, those leaders had such great leadership. Um, Their leaders were great friends with America and they were their partners in the war on terror and they were their partners on other things. Uh, Gaddafi, not so much, but he was very good friends with Mubarak and Ali Abdel Salah. And he was great friends with the French. That was a bit like a vendetta because he financed uh, Sarkozy's campaign, which now Sarkozy is, you know, being investigated upon these allegations. And then they kind of backstabbed him. So it was like Arab Spring was a free-for-all. It was like it blanketed a lot of initiatives. Egypt's experience with Mubarak was like the biggest backstab for Mubarak. I think he was kind of blindsided by it. I mean, this is the problem. I think people in the West who want revolutions and whatever, they need to realize that their own government and their own system put these dictators there. They enabled them. They partnered with them. They supported them. They don't care what kind of human right violations happen as long as they have a friend there. And I think when the Arab Spring happened, the biggest dilemma to the West was, oh, Who's going to be our friend now? Who do we know there? Who do we know there? Who can we work with? And then the shift became very clearly is we're going to work with the Islamists because we're so scared of them. But now we're just going to befriend them and we're just going to be buddies and, you know, we're going to help them get to power and everything is going to be fine. And so you see the sudden shift of like Islamists taking control, especially in Egypt with um, with the leadership right before Sisi. Help me with the name. I'm Morsi. Morsi. He scratched his balls in front of Merkel. That's when I knew this guy was out. That's it. I don't think done. that was. I don't think that That's was it. what made him. I, to me, that was. I mean, moment. he wasn't even out. There was a coup. So yeah, yeah. Was, after that, you need a coup. You gotta go. You can't just scratch your things in front of Angela. Angela. I mean, Angela. if that if that makes it, then maybe we need to keep a closer eye on all the other dictators <laughs> who are <laughs> committing far, Such far worse crimes. Such a lack of decorum. Well, the thing is, they befriended them too quickly. And then they they befriended the same people that they were trying to fight too quickly because they think, okay, f- if we can't fight them, we're going to befriend them. And then they made the assumption that all Islamists are the same. And then they gave the Nobel Peace Prize to a Muslim woman, you know, from the Arab Spring to kind of send a message of, you know, we're going to support you. And then very quickly, they flipped the script 
when they realized that there were still voices on the ground that didn't feel that the Islamists should be there, when they felt that a lot of people don't necessarily support these regimes. And it just shows you the lack of genuine interest in the Middle East. You know, they just want a friend there. They don't care whether the people there are dying. You know, human rights is a really great way to preach certain things to countries and to sanction them and to put violations upon them. But it's not out of genuine interest. It's a modern form of colonization. And boom, that's exactly what the Arab Spring was, you know? I mean, it was kind of a positive flu. It was like the happy flu. I remember people, because I'm from Algeria and we didn't really have an Arab Spring. There was some like upsurge, but... The did you crave? Th- no, they threw- did you crave the idea of having an Arab Spring? Not at all, because we've had that before. Like we're just watching people be like, "Yeah, we've been there. We know that." But um, there was like a little rioting, very mild. But the regime just threw money at them, and and that quelled that. Oh, on that subject, um, so monarchies when the Arab Spring were happening, oh yeah, they actually did throw a lot of money at their citizens. Uh, their their salaries and their school per diems increased, and. I mean, they were having fun, man. I mean, international students that were living abroad, not just like people in their own countries were getting money. It was just kind of money all around. And I think those people kind of understood that some of these protests are actually about that. They're about, you know, we're not getting as much as we deserve. You know, I I was here when the Arab Spring happened in Yemen, and I kind of had this like itch where I wanted to go back and be part of that because there's something so beautiful about the occurrence of the Arab Spring and that there's a sense of community, a sense of collectiveness. And as a matter of fact, a lot of norms and traditions that happened in, you know, that were part of Yemen's tradition were suspended temporarily where women and men can be part of a a protest and they were able to stand together as equals and they were able to do a lot of things that I think normally women wouldn't be able to be part of. And they played such an important role in the in the change square in Yemen, where they were doctors, they were teachers, they were. It was a sense of community that was. It was kind of a fantasy, and I was very cautious about that because that kind of change happening so quickly made no sense. Um, and so, a lot of times, I found myself calling my friends here, and I'd be like, "Hey, be cautious. I don't really trust this process. Like, be careful. You don't know what's happening. You don't know who's behind it." Yeah, I was definitely suspicious. I mean, when a revolution happens so quickly. Gotta wonder. People just come out. I mean, the same happened when, when, for example, the the women's march against Trump. I think every kind of woman who was against Trump walked out to protest Trump. But at the same time, these women wouldn't necessarily agree with each other on so many other things. And it almost felt like the movement was popular, yet it was not. There was no clear leadership to it. And these kind of things... You know, just imagine that protest had turned into a coup and a movement that was taking down the president, not just a one day march, not just a show of power. Once it becomes real, once you actually succeed in taking down that person, who's in charge? You know, and usually the person in charge are the people who were more organized, the groups that tend to have a better political vision of it, which, you know, in Yemen's case, it was the Islam party, which is the Muslim Brotherhood. Islamists, they're, they're so organized. But you know why they're so organized? Because in Arab regimes, any kind of opposition to the leadership is quickly silenced. Yeah, but also but because they do, get a lot of dinero no, no, from no. That's, so, the Saudis. Well, besides, outside of that, there are groups that don't get money from the Saudis. Yeah, right. The reason, the reason these movements are successful is because... 
leaders or dictators cannot silence them because they're operating under the name of religion. If they silence the movement, then they are silencing the word of God. They can't preach. They can't give away charity. They can't do all these things. I mean, it's not like the regimes are a-religious. They are also yes. very careful to, you know, Which include is why this into their... They don't, that's why they allowed them to operate for so. many years. So when the time came, they had some background into power, some understanding of how things are run as opposed to opposition regimes. I think it's more a question of identity. I think the days of ideology of being like either a socialist or from the right has dissolved. And so now to rally up like a movement, religion is a very easy way to congregate people. I mean, you, that you would be true make, about America today. You, you, don't, you don't have to make any efforts to you know, be Muslim or Christian. You're born into it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have, so it's very easy to convince many people to be like, this is the most important part of your identity because that's the one you have literally nothing... Pan-Islamism? In, in order to do, to conquer. Like, you are born this way. I mean, isn't that kind of the idea that some people, you know, they did the protests hoping that they can create one big nation of Islam, No, et cetera, no, et cetera. no, that's They're bullshit. That's Saudi bullshit. And that's why I didn't like when people asked me about the Arab Spring, like I was supposed to catch it. And that was my badge of, like freedom-lovingness, you know? It's like people had that suspicion. Like, well, why, that's the thing. why aren't you having yours? Where is your Arab Spring? Don't you like democracy? Where is it? No, but that's, that's the thing. I know like, you had yours, so you're like, I know, I know, I know, but... No, 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 you, I'm saying Yemen that countries are so Arab different. Spring, but it got squashed by who? Switzerland? I think not. It got squashed by Saudi squashed. Arabia. Our, our Arab Spring succeeded and it got squashed not by Saudi Arabia. Our problem with our Arab Spring is that the international community tried to get involved in it way too much. They saw what happened in Syria. They didn't want another Syria to happen, so they got way too involved in the process of making a transition work to the point that they failed it. They ruined it because their say had to go, and they ignored what the Yemenis actually wanted. It was more about the power elite that the international community worked with. And then President Obama actually came out and said that You know, the Yemen was saved uh, from war because the national dialogue that happened after the, the success of the revolution managed to save it from that dilemma. And so the success of the revolution, the success of the dialogue saved okay. Yemen. Yeah. So President Obama came. That's a very meager It you was, know, concept of success. And it's kind of annoying because what the dialogue did, what this international community effort did is delay fighting. And it delayed confrontation. And then, you know, today's, today's war in Yemen could have been completely avoided had it not been for excessive. I mean, international support is always welcome and is needed to success. Like to success like to I have don't know. I don't know about that. I think that's the problem. I think foreign intervention is not always intervention. A I think support. You There's know, no showing support without an agenda. So no. And that's kind of what I don't like about the Arab Spring is that it was appropriated by you know, other interests, like in Syria. And then you have, like, a big problem to me is, like, the rebels. Then you don't know who you're dealing with anymore. Like, the pro, the anti, what's going on? And then it's all, oh, yeah, but it's for the love of democracy. And you're looking at these rebels and you're like... It's not for the love of democracy. No, it's but to it's be pitched, free. But it's pitched as such. Like, in Syria, you, you saw these, like... I don't know, but they scare me. They're things of nightmares with their bandana. I don't know what's written there, but they're agents the, of so, freedom? So I let me tell not. you something... The people who work on Syria know each group very clearly and they know what's what. And what's happening now is that because of how long the war has been happening, those guys have been able to regroup and organize themselves as 
kind of shadow mini governments. They're operating, they have their own justice systems, they have their own financial system. So because it's been so long, they are now operating as mini states. And I think ultimately what we're going to see in Libya, in Syria, in is Yemen chaos. is fracture. Fracture of modern Duh. states into miniature countries. The same is happening in Iraq as a consequence of the Iraq and war. And that's the missed point of the Arab Spring is that nobody felt, you know, by the people, for the people. And that's why Tunisia is, in, is the only successful example is because they did it by themselves. There was no foreign meddling. Like this is... Let, there was, let there nations was foreign grow. meddling. But the, the even in the media, didn't you feel disconnected to the Arab Spring? I feel like you were more of a of a fan like I felt completely I felt like the narrative of Arab Spring was completely taken away from me as a Durka I felt like it was this circus that I had obviously no control over but I felt like th I couldn't relate to it could you I, I could because in I mean in the countries Tunisia where and Egypt the, in, I think in Egypt and in Yemen I think a lot of these protests came from grievances for example in Yemen's case the president of Yemen had been ruling for 33 years Yeah, but there are reasons for that. Well, yes, that, that, and that not, cannot not be solved by, oh, yeah, no, just the reason. Freedom. See, look, people were getting fed up, so they caught the fever of the Arab Spring. They took to the streets. But the people who controlled and managed the revolution were people who were close to the former president. Mm, yep. And they were people who were ready to push him out. And they were ready to place a new, a new group in his, in his position. And I think... I think that's the consequence of holding on to power too much. I think sometimes, especially in the case of Yemen, the, the president of Yemen became alienated from people. And I think he lost track of what's real and what's not and started buying his own bluff. And I just, it just, it was inevitable. But do you I, think people get that across? Because I think nobody knows that. I, I mean, don't think, I think, I think Arab I made Spring, a career out of this. Yeah, I know. But like, <laughs> exactly. See, there you go. She made a career out of the Arab Spring. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And there I'm you not, go. And that's kind and of I'm what, and I commend you, but I also denounce that. <laughs> no, because you know what? If I'm not going to speak to correct, correct, to correct that's, misinformation. That's cool. But I also feel like the Arab Spring was also, a way to oversimplify no, the no, Middle no. East. It's like, yeah, oh, and, and here just, I am. Everybody's angry, and now they're not apathetic. It's like the Middle East was never apathetic. And my job is they like, were hey, never listen. just victims. It's like complicated. Helpless. It's com <laughs> it's complicated. And I'm like, hey, and and this is why it's complicated. Hey, have you guys watched Game of Thrones? Because let me explain to you how complicated the Middle East is. Because that's the kiddie pool. <laughs> no, that was actually the metaphor I used. But here's how I thought about it. Where are my dragons? When the Arab Spring happened, I was. Suddenly, you know, there's so many events in D.C. about what's happening in the Middle East. And then I go to the event and they're all white people from like Dakota and like Nebraska and I don't know where who traveled once to I don't know where. And now they have the authority because they're so good at writing and reading to come and talk about it. And as I was sitting there, I was like, you know what? I was born and raised there. And I came here for university. I wanted to go back. And now I don't think I can go back because of the instability. So I might as well do my part here by speaking about the misinformation, the misunderstandings. But here's how technology kind of becomes a double-edged sword. Technology was a really great way for me to follow information that was happening on the ground, for me to get my writings out there, to talk to Americans, to explain really what's happening. And there are people listening and reading, and that's kind of what's awesome about social media. But at the same time, Twitter also is the same place that gave birth to trolls. Fast forward a few years, they have learned how to use social media to silence specific voices that are speaking the truth. And they just troll the hell out of them. And right now in America, we have a troll in chief, which should 
actually really explains a lot of people how you Twitter are obsessed could be. with Trump. I'm just catching the American fever, baby. Dude, I'm, I'm trying to talk about. I'm trying to talk about dirty ass Arabs, and you're like, I'm making this it school. relatable. You know, I'm talking to Americans. Hey, Americans, well, I'm talking Arab to Spring you. Well, Arab Spring was a big phenomenon. I feel like it gained traction. I feel like it was something in their like in the landscape here in terms of popular culture. It was like, wow, we what, never thought the Arabs. What do Arab- you wish would have happened differently? In the Middle East, I think every country had its own. No, uh, no, to Lily, I mean, I mean, uh, in, in terms of how the Arab, Arab Spring was. Um, perceived what it became like, like if you you know not like not turning into some sort of a blanket phenomenon that it's everywhere the same a bit like what Sama was going to say like every country has its own path and you know that they're not all they don't have the same profile historically economically so everybody's coming from a different angle but painting it all Arab Spring made it confusing to know whether where the intent was coming from and it created situation that got out of hand like Libya or Syria where one size fits all but you know what it's kind of there's a silver lining to that I mean the French created images now they've admitted it so it's not something Mm -hmm. that they have created like with green screen like fake rioting that justified their military presence yes and then they murdered the Gaddafi and it was available on YouTube these are very disturbing and Al Jazeera did that a few times too images the Arabic one like this is just bringing the morale down. This is like thuggery. So it's too bad that something as beautiful as what happened in Tunisia was appropriated for other purposes. And then they I covered mean, all matters of sin by calling it like the Arab Spring. But isn't that, you know, isn't the Arab Spring part of, you know, the rise of fake news that is now only picking up? Like, Propaganda always existed, but I exactly, get what you're saying. Exactly. It's always been there. So Fake news it, always existed. It's interesting. Like, I think all these like kind of hashtag movements, I, I think in their own way, are probably all reduced to like a lowest common denominator too, right? Like your Black Lives Matter, your Me Too movements. They, so many things get lumped in to exactly. those big movements. But there's, there's a silver lining to that, you know? I, I mean, one thing that really irritates me as someone who came from Yemen who's trying to like get people to care about what's happening there, especially because America is directly involved in the conflict there and they're part of the people committing crimes there, is that the coverage on Yemen continues to be as an afterthought of what happens in Syria. And to understand what's happening in Yemen, people always talk about it as if it's Syria. Like, I would watch news here and I'm like, that's not true at all because you're talking clearly about Syria you just put the word Yemen in between and I think that talks ultimately about a supply and demand market and I think when the Arab Spring happened a lot of people were ready and receptive and wanted to see that kind of movement happen in the Mm -hmm. Middle East and then when it became into something bad there isn't that much of a you know a demand on trying to understand the conflict as much as you know what we're just gonna have to lump it all together so that you guys continue to read about it okay this is a stretch but do you think i mean there was a whole collapse in 2008 you know but um, it wasn't a collapse but there was an economic crisis here and do you think that in a way the reason why gained traction this whole arab spring is not a reverse guilt but a feeling like we knew it all along this is what they wanted so it justifies like every Gulf War, every attempt in the Middle East, like it was always in the heart of the people and now we're going to save them again? I think it has, I don't know how it ties into the economy in 2008, but I do think that there is a little bit of a savior complex. Totally. And I think that 
to me, what was fascinating is like I, you know, after the Arab Spring, I met all kinds of Americans who are going to the Middle East to try and participate in the revolution and write about it and then travel from Egypt to Syria and like come back and tell me about how they were detained for a few hours. And most most of the regimes that detained them were probably like, you shouldn't be here. You're going to get killed. Like, get the hell out of here. It's so misguided. But, you know, but then you have these like reckless Americans going there participating in something that isn't theirs because they're so hungry to be part of something but their presence sometimes just means you know sometimes it could mean that you know if an american is kidnapped the entire world is going to listen to what's going on here or it could also mean oh damn it you just like really ruined what we're trying to do and made it all about you you know there's just this I mean, uh, what shocked me really was just this, this thirst and hunger in some young people to go and be part of something mm-hmm. big. I think it was an easy thing for Americans to root for and not really understand. And, I mean, I yes. Mean, <laughs> I, I, I 100%. Would, it was an Arab fever thing. Some, I had a friend, actually, who, I mean, he's done some prestigious, you know, studying and he wanted to go to Egypt as this was unraveling as do a lot of people by the way Egypt has always been kind of the hub for Arabic language but the guy can even sustain a conversation with an Algerian because he was so within his savior complex and he has good intentions he wanted to teach democracy to Egypt it's like where do you begin like we're in a hotel there's always like there's already management and so many things that I don't know. And you're talking about at the level of a country that's been run a certain way for decades. Do you know how many pockets and dark corners there is in this house? Yeah. And you think that you can just like export your ass and like teach democracy? Like, what is this? I cannot explain how Amateur many people, workshop. how many people I ran into that are like that. Like they'll come and talk and they're like, you know, there are different types of governments. There is a federalist system and there's a this system. And it's like, um okay, you think that's what the Middle East needs? Like, I I think they've reduced the experience a lot. And I think that the Arab Spring was a necessity in some places. It needed to happen. People needed to have the lesson that they're having now, whatever it is, to understand their own dynamic as the results in different countries are different. You know, we can say that... Well, we can say that they all ended up in instability, but that would be also throwing a massive blanket over what's happening, you know? Is Egypt better off? No, Egypt is definitely not better off. And I think this episode is going to get me into a lot of trouble um, for saying a lot of things. But I think the problem is these are countries where they feel like they need to rule with an iron fist because if they didn't, it would be like the idea of pluralism is something that is going to be so hard for the Middle East to kind of understand and accept. You know, it's it's not... I kind of disagree with this because all these are new nations, so they're going to need sometimes. I always pull the example of French, well, because they colonized us, so I know a little thing or two about them. But when you think about them, like, when was their declaration of human rights, les droits de l'homme? That was in the, like, 1700s, right? And so they had this revolution, but then they went back to being an empire, and then they went back to being a monarchy, and then they had five republics before mm-hmm. they settled for one in the 20th century. Like the road to a better system of governance takes centuries. We're like 50 years in with foreign meddling, with like systems that you yeah. know need Post- to be overcome. But it's not that simple. I don't think there's something contradictory about being from the Middle East or North Africa and being... A democracy. So two, two comments to that that I, ha- I, I have that to say. All my life. 
two things that I have to say to that. One is the Middle East was mostly run as a decentralized system. And I think by creating a state with solid borders kind of confused the hell out of the populations there and put in regimes that weren't necessarily for the best interests of the people, but they were definitely supported by super powerful countries. Can we agree that in 1960, like nobody was confused? I don't think anybody's think confused. confused. Like Syria is not confused. They know their borders. They, yeah, they knew it, their borders, but no, they were confused in that they couldn't make a system work. Nobody is confused. No, honestly. they couldn't make a system work. Like you had, you know, are we a but democracy? That takes time. Is, exactly. But there's that confusion that how are we going to run this successfully? And I think also power corrupts. And whether it's here in America or anywhere, people who come to power tend to want to hold on to power. And so they tend to, you know, in the West, they recycle it in a better way where, you know, it's I'm a president now, then I'm a special advisor to I don't know where, but you keep your status. And I think in the Middle East, they still haven't figured a way to keep the status, but kind of move on from a specific position. Yeah, but it's that it's, really inchoate stages like even think of Europe they had I'm going to keep saying that they had two world wars before getting it together yeah and I think That's we're on lot. the verge of no 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 no. we're not but I'm just I saying like know. in the path to getting it together they slaughtered each other and then they were like okay this is not sustainable we we're, have to find another way we're definitely there we're definitely no, in the we're slaughtering not because each other we're part. proxies we're not even there like this is we're not you, you think that what's happening in these countries is proxies totally no yes totally no this is the problem I go on TV every day and I try to explain to people that what's happening in Yemen is not a proxy war it is a war it's a civil war yeah. it's people fighting each other and then the proxy yeah, thing brings but attention the proxy, to but it Saudi to me is a proxy what's their business in your government but they're not really a proxy they're part of the conflict but they're fighting because a proxy is like to use someone vicariously yeah yes. but they're they're not using it they are participating directly well they're using yemen they are to give a signal no to no they are Iran. party of the conflict yeah Th that's what they say they say they're sending a signal to iran and i'm pretty sure there's nothing being sent to iran through that war except like yemenis are being killed but you know saudi arabia is part of that conflict so i can't imagine it as a proxy considering saudi arabia is also a border neighbor like it's kind of it's kind pawn. of like it's kind of like canada and america fighting like that's not a proxy war that's a war yeah but technically they're saying they're not fighting yemen they're only fighting a certain that's not faction. True. That's what they're I know saying. it's not true. That's what I'm saying. That's why I bring and that's the word, why the proxy, the proxy image is false. Exactly, but that's how they're pitching it. But it's false. It's a false narrative. It's a false narrative. But what I mean is, like, there's no, there's not the maturity so, to to come to that awareness. Like we're, we're not there yet. We're not fighting each other yet. It's still like Saudi Arabia, you know, May going I? against going. Well, we're going to your land of expertise, but. Well, I guess they're just squashing Yemen. Well, it's not, they're not just squashing Yemen. They're squashing Yemen with no clear agenda ahead for Yemen, which well, is bad. Well, they do have an agenda. The agenda is sending a message to Iran. So in a way, Yemen... And then after even they send a, the message, what happens? They're not fighting Iran directly. So in a way, Yemen is a proxy, even though it has its own, you know, conflict going. But to me, Saudi Arabia going into Yemen to fight Iran and not fighting Iran directly is a proxy. But that's the thing. The extent... The people that they are killing, the people being targeted, they are not even allies of the group that they consider um, ally, like proxies of Iran. I agree. Saudi so, is doing this gratuitously because they want Yemen under their boots. So since we brought Yemen into this podcast, and I really, really dreaded this day because I feel like 
it, it wouldn't be right to just do five minutes on it and it wouldn't be right for me to put my career on the radio. But I think it's kind of uh, important since we're talking about it that the Americans today have offered to help the Emiratis and the Saudis in their targets uh, in the next few days because the United Arab Emirates has decided that they will go in very forcefully in Yemen. Human aid workers have been evacuated. Um, everybody's gone except for the Yemeni population and people are saying that the Emiratis are going to go in hard. And it's been reported by The Intercept that once the Emiratis go in, they cannot control the fighters, meaning that if massive killings happen across the board, it would be not their responsibility because they can't control the fighters. What's interesting, though, is that Yesterday, the U.S. was issuing several statements that they don't want this to happen. And they did it through the U.N., through the Department of State, where they are like, you know, the humanitarian situation. We need to be mindful of the city. But today, they've, I think they've realized that they can't convince them not to go in. And it's become, hey, let us help you with the targeting. Uh, because ultimately, it is American weapons involved in this war. And as much as I did not want to bring it to, this, to, to the table, I think that this topic of Arab Spring is giving birth to exactly what I'm talking about. This is ultimately what happened to our Arab Spring because you, the West wanted to support the Arab Spring blindly because it was looked at as a great thing, as a democracy, as a success. But the lack of genuine interest or understanding gave birth to the worst humanitarian crisis in the world at the moment. And, yeah. um, and it's funny how only republics catch the case of the Arab Spring flu. Except the monarchies that actually need to be democracies. Exactly. They don't get that. They don't, you know, it's funny how they didn't catch that. Except for Bahrain. Can we consider that? Were they like a sultanate? Were they an emirate? They are a kind kingdom. Of, oh, they're a kingdom. So they're, they're a monarchy. A kingdom. Yes. But they were squashed too. Kingdom of Bahrain. That's too bad. Um, they tried. Actually, I had a very serious question, Jack. Um, yeah. We talk a lot about France in this show. Would the Line Hotel open a branch there so that we can actually start a podcast <laughs> partnership with them? Only if I can move there. I, I think we're all ready for that. I think we'd have yeah. to rely on Lilia a lot for her. Uh, I'm je not going quoi. there. Je, je, parle, je nope. ne pas parler français. No, nope, at a safe distance. It would just be impossible for me to quit cigarettes then. <laughs> <laughs> She can do an episode from here and I'll do one from there. <laughs> well, they were very active during the Arab Spring. It was like the U.S. and France, like the France, France like UK. carried out a very no, but they were they went in personally in and Libya. Russia, come on, Russia. I mean, Russia is like at a later no, time. No, 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 no. Russia's in Syria, man. <laughs> yes, and they cleaned up that thing, that uh, goddess Isis. It's not like a goddess, an I, Egyptian oh, goddess, yeah. and it's also Th like soap in Algeria. Have you heard of it? <laughs> it's like a soap. It's like a for dishes. It's called Isis. So All it's right, very guys. unfortunate that such a dirty organization must. Uh, steal the cleanliness of the average Algerian. But uh, I think that's it that's, for today. That's a, a light slash heavy Oof. subject. I kind of like these episodes. I'd actually love to get feedback on whether we that should do me more episodes like this. Well, as a takeaway, I think, for a listener that, that wants to do better, I guess, and, and tell me if I'm, if I'm getting it right, but, I mean, do more research before blindly kind of just, like, rooting for things or... Yes. Subscribing, yeah. And yes. also, don't root for something based on the moment. Take history. Read the history <laughs> of, you know, don't jumble the states together. Mm -hmm. Not all brown people are the same. 
and every place has its own unique history and history tends to repeat itself. If you see repetitive patterns, that's probably it. And also, if you are from America or anywhere that is Western and in power, you know, take into consideration the role that your own country has played in this and what are the interests of your own country in this change. And it wasn't spring, it was winter, so. And now it's apparently the, <laughs> I don't know, what is it now at this point? What do you mean? The Arab Spring, it's the Arab gone. Winter, it's, it's, the Arab... It's not glamorous Arab. anymore. It's not like, a, you know, a righteous call for whatever that was. It's, it's done. Now it's just pitiful. I don't, I don't think, not interesting see, see anymore. for the sake of my friends that I know who actually took to the revolution, went out to the streets wanting genuine Oh, I'm not change. talking about them. I'm just talking about... I'm, I know, but we are by saying the Arab Spring is that I feel like it would be in the diminishing... Media. In the media, not itself. That, like I said, I thought it was wrong to say that the Arabs just awakened now. They've always been awake and trying to push things. It's and just, for that, I want to say that the so. Arab Spring is alive. It's still ongoing. It's it hasn't never stopped. It hasn't reached its goals yet. And so, so I hope they do get their goals because there are people who lost their lives in this. There are people's lives, like families destroyed because of this. And we salute them. Yes. So they're more than a headline. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, meet us uh, next week for Next Surf with yeah. Full Service Radio. Surf with Lilia. <laughs> <laughs>